just minutes ago from Iran. We took action last night to stop a war. We did not take action to start a war. The top Iranian general has been killed in an airstrike while leaving the Baghdad airport. Qasem Soleimani. Qasem Soleimani. Qasem Soleimani was one of the most powerful figures in the Middle East. And also among the most powerful, according to some accounts, second only to the supreme leader of that country. For too long, this evil man operated without constraint. What the uh, U.S. administration did yesterday uh, was against international law. President Trump's decision to remove Qasem Soleimani from the battlefield saved American lives. There's no doubt about that. Whether we're talking about the Iraq war, whether we're talking about the lies about Viagra and Libya, whether we're talking about the lies about the OPCW in Syria, we have every single reason to question that they might be lying about this exactly like they have before. It was a pivot point. It's the most blatant violation of all international law that you could possibly imagine. And it just, again, completely gets sailed over in all the mainstream reporting of this. Iran has announced that it is rolling back its commitments under the landmark nuclear deal, marking a further and dramatic escalation of tensions in the Middle East. It's not just theoretical. These are real people with real lives. And it's real people. And Bitcoin has the power to undermine everything they're doing to people around the world. And I'm sorry for shouting, but it just disgusts me what these people in government do. And they do it through central banking and through the control of the money supply. And Bitcoin takes that away from them. That's it. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. As always, everything's in the show notes. Uh, you can find links to the things we're talking about and timestamps for relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later. In this episode, we have been away for a little while, so we're going to recap a bunch of things that have been going on in the world um, and also just very suspiciously avoid some topics too. Yeah, so we're not talking about Iran. Don't talk about the war or Epstein. Who f- all right, this podcast is not investment or any other type of advice. <laughs> we're not saying you should buy anything at all. So, full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different shares, funds, and cryptocurrencies, some of which we talk about on the show. Others which we don't. <laughs> yeah. But if we talk about an investment product, it doesn't mean you should buy it. So, do your own research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and avoid the fear of missing out. All right, we've been away for a while. Mate, what, what have you been up to? Mate, I've been sitting in outback New South Wales in the boiling heat, uh, no fires, thank goodness, and um, just sat around eating food and getting fat for a couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, I've, I've been uh, watching a really cool documentary, uh, which was recommended by Luke, who's an OG FOMO listener. It was on drones uh, and how they'll change cities. It's called Elevation. Um, it's on YouTube, uh, links in the show notes. Super exciting. It tells you all about how drones you know, can really change the airways up above us. Uh, and they're also terrifying. Um, so, yeah, it goes into that. Cool. How long is the documentary? Oh, I think it's like 20 minutes, man. Okay. 
Um, Not too long. Yeah, talking about all like different applications, it's just super exciting. Cool. What have you been up cool. to? Um, I've been reading the uh, second Bitcoin Times, which came out just recently uh, out of the people at Amber. They've got and they've got all sorts of people writing on this one. It's actually it's a really 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 good read. Mm. Um, uh, Gigi, who we covered a few episodes ago, I think we read one of his pieces. Mm. He's in there. Uh, Alex Fetsky's in there. There's all sorts of people from the Bitcoin community in there. Mm. Um, it's free. It's easy to get. Well worth the really well worth the read. Um, and very very well put together. Mm. Awesome. What else have you been up to? What did you get up to? Over yeah, Christmas? just um, lots of lots of family stuff over Christmas. Uh, we had nice. family fly in from other countries, which was cool. Oh. Um, Went out to the farm myself as well, which was very nice. Nice. Uh, we even, uh, I think we had about eight or nine PCs networked up. Uh, what? Out at, the, out at the farm because, you know, our family and then our extended family uh, all came and then, you know, we, we thought, well, we might as well throw it back to when we were all a bit younger. Um, we used to play um, this game called Trackmania on our wow. PCs way back in the day. Awesome. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so we just everyone brought like, oh mate, we had like we were resurrecting old computers that had sat in the garage for, for years <laughs> and trying to find old monitors and oh. scummy land cables and oh mate, it was awesome. We, we we got it all linked up in the end and yeah, had some some real crazy times, which was <laughs> which was super fun. Um, it was you know people yelling at each other down the hallways and it was just like <laughs> being kids again, man. It was it was really really cool. So. Uh, that was good, um, wow. but also worked. I <laughs> did a lot of work through the holidays as well, um, oh. working on a bit of a secret project. Um, hush, hush. Which, yeah, which is, you know, uh, um, moving along nicely, which is good. Nice. And, yeah, just did some re- reading, did some researching. I mean, researching a lot into uh, industrial hemp and CBD recently. So doing Whoa. a lot of um, research into that, listening to podcasts, all sorts of stuff. Um yeah, really interesting area and um, just a super amazing uh, the amount of applications there are for so industrial hemp. So true. Like it, yeah. I, I only discovered that, yeah, you could um, – I'd say I didn't discover. <laughs> when I heard that you could make concrete out of it by adding lime yeah. and water and all this other stuff and then you can make plastics and polymers out of it, fabric, paper. Whoa, what else is – what else can you do with it? Oh mate, it's it's like a rabbit hole. Like you, you the, the big thing you realize when you start researching industrial hemp is that um, we've almost shot ourselves in the foot as a species by this um, questionable war on drugs. Because uh, you can go, like you can go back to the Egyptians, you can go to the Romans, all sorts of different periods, and yeah, you'll you'll see like their buildings have hemp in them, materials that have survived have hemp in it. Everything seems to have hemp. Um, all the sailing ships back in the day, they used hemp sails. Wow. Um, because they were just the sturdiest, the most pliable. Um, uh, that just everything had hemp in it back in the day uh, and for wow. good reason. And we've kind of lost a lot of that, but it has, it's just, a, it's a super plant, man. Like it has applications everywhere. And uh, but the big thing that's kind of amazed me is researching CBD, which is um, mm-hmm. cannabinoidal, and it's it's what's being used in a lot of uh, the medicinal stuff. Um, a, a lot more food products um, are now beginning to include um, CBD in them, and it's quite well documented that it, it has super super uh, cancer fighting properties, um, wow. uh, other health properties. A lot of people sleep better when they're taking it. There's just all these 
all these benefits mm-hmm. um, that come from it. And it's a you know completely different type of part of the plant, type of plant. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just been outlawed for, <laughs> you know, for near on 50 years, mm. except in some limited uses. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting. It's been really interesting to research. Really, I mean, I've been fascinated by the farming techniques as well, um, the mm. way that people are farming it, oh. just because, you know, that's, that's my background growing up. And, um, yeah, so lots of, lots of interesting stuff. Mate, that is another rabbit hole. Well, yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. It's probably, it's probably going to make a comeback pretty pretty soon. Well, it is making a comeback, both oh, of those yeah. things. Yeah. yeah, and look, just give it, I think, give it another couple of years and you're going to see um, CBD, particularly in in all sorts of products, um, mm. in your grocery store and in your pharmacy and, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's going to be brave new world. Awesome. Are you certain you're private and safe online? Uh, Check out our new resource at fomo.show forward slash privacy. It's a great repository of our favorite tools to understand and improve your online security. If you're new to cryptocurrency, Bitcoin and blockchain, you can check out our blockchain basics series, which covers the fundamentals. It starts from episode two and continues until episode eight. Let's jump into what's been happening the last few weeks while we've been on our Christmas break. Um, I guess the first one, time-wise, that came up was uh, the Christmas purge that happened the night before Christmas. As the world slept on Christmas Eve, YouTube was busy enacting a mass deletion of cryptocurrency videos from its platform. Yeah, apparently it was pretty sudden and without warning. Um, and the timing was questionable because yeah, the, the timing, according to CCN, suggests that the social media giant sought to minimise outrage and pushback. Yeah, numerous content creators in the cryptocurrency space were issued with community guideline strikes which judged their videos as harmful or dangerous content or sale of regulated goods. Mm. Now, YouTube eventually restored the deleted videos, but not before outraging many crypto YouTubers, including Australia's own Alex Saunders. Yeah, and Alex was really vocal on uh, Twitter and all these other platforms, basically saying like he's he'd put on new stuff, um, he'd given them Christmas bonuses... And, you know, YouTube, like a lot of content creators, is kind of his lifeblood. Like it's it's where um, a lot of content creators, including him, get most of their revenue. Uh, there's all sorts of partner programs and ad revenue. And he he basically said, look, there, there's been no warning. Um, there was no... Um, there was no letters of warning. There was no messages. It was just all of a sudden... All the strikes came and they were delisted. There was an interesting opinion that came from uh, via Forbes um, saying Google's censorship of cryptocurrencies goes way beyond YouTube. Um, and Roger Huang, who wrote the piece, said that, look, to start with, you know, their previous ban on cryptocurrency ads really kicked this off. Mm. Um, and then Google also suspended the popular Ethereum wallet MetaMask from the Google Play Store. Um, citing deceptive services and referring to a financial services policy. Uh, they later restored it, but, yeah, that's – yeah, it's – what he said is that it was semi-hostile. Yeah, and, look, and that was just an open-source plug-in too. That was, that was a really strange one. But he's, his conclusion is that it's clear that Google's acting in a manner that's semi-hostile at best to cryptocurrencies with censorship of key applications, introductory content and advertising options for an emerging technology – that may attack its business model and uh, sometimes comfortable relationships with legislators too. And he said, look, at the end of the day, it reminds us that we probably need to 
you know, that's one of the values of decentralization, you know, not having mm. the power or with, a, you know, a few tech giants or whatever. But, um, and, and he finished up by saying, look, the one thing's clear through all of this, the censorship of cryptocurrencies by Google, it's not a one-off event. Um, and it really doesn't seem like an accident. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it did look like a very calculated move. They, you know, they later said, "Oh, it was just a bit of a mistake," but um, but <clears throat> very, very hard to to back that up. And yeah, mate, I, I completely agree. And that's why we do the privacy and security segments every week, and we try and promote open source platforms. It, it, it's just uh, we rely on this so much. I mean, YouTube is by far and away the biggest platform for this kind of stuff. And mm. it can just switch people off at an absolute whim, you know, and, and delist people. And we should be looking for other alternatives and uh, seeking other platforms. It's just it's just a shame that nothing's really um, as good as YouTube, you know. It's YouTube mm. do what mm. they do really well, um, and that's mm. what makes so much money. So I guess the the main solution is just just do exactly what you're told. Don't st- stray outside the lines. You know, don't 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 question anything, and just publish. You know, banal. What's well, not? Yeah, banal. Just post boring crap on YouTube, and they won't delist yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, just go with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> So much I want to say. <laughs> it's just, yeah, like, you know, it's just one of those things, mate. Like we, we can we can talk Here about, you know, alternative <laughs> platforms all we want, but like, you know, I, I'm not going to any of these alternative platforms and I don't think most people are either mm. because it's just too hard mm. and the experience sucks. Like you'll go to one and you'll be like, oh, I'll try it out. And then your video, the first video you want to watch won't load. And you're like, well, this is. You know, this isn't going to do, and you go back to YouTube. It's so true. It's so yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. So someone needs to step up. Someone needs to make something better. And if we miss something, then please let us know. Let us know if there is a platform out there that actually does compete with YouTube and is decentralized. Bitcoin SV. <laughs> Next bit of news. Uh, so in a bit of a Christmas gift, Shenzhen Stock Exchange has launched an index of 50 blockchain firms. Yeah, according to their announcement on December the 24th, uh, the index will be based on the stocks of 50 companies listed on the Shenzhen Stock Exchange that participate in the blockchain industry. Now, the top 50 blockchain-related stocks are ranked based on their average daily market value over the past six months, and the index is updated two times per year. So on the second Friday of June and the second Friday of December. Interesting quote. Before creating the index, the Shenzhen Stock Exchange made sure that the companies involved are actually using the technology. So, huh, how about that? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but this isn't so, the only place where we have crypto-based, uh, or sorry, blockchain-related indexes. Where else have we seen stuff like this? Yeah, so in mid-October, I think we covered this, the NASDAQ listed the AI-powered CIX 100 index, which is created by crypto data provider Crypto Index. And I think it was the month before that they also listed a blockchain decentralized finance index called DFIX, uh, which includes projects such as um, Amovio, proof of work blockchain apparently, and decentralized exchange protocol 0x, and prediction market Ogre. Mm. Ogre. 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 Yeah. Cool. After Christmas, New Year, we saw a bunch of drones getting involved on New Year's Eve celebrations. 
think the first one was Singapore. They apparently made this. Well, there's a video on Twitter of a virtual clock made of drones that did the countdown, which is pretty cool. Mm, mm. And then there was also uh, another one from Shanghai, and apparently this was pre-recorded, but it was still amazing. Like it was thousands of drones flying in formation over the city um, mm. and just doing all sorts of different fireworks-like displays. Yeah. There was one that was like a, a person, like the outline of a person. Well, it wasn't even the outline. It was like a 3D person walking along. Mm. But, yeah, apparently people who were at the event on years – so this was sent to like world media and covered on TV. But people who were actually – there on New Year's Eve, we're looking up in the sky and they saw nothing. <laughs> yeah, and the company behind the display confirmed to the BBC that um, it was actually done on the 28th of December, not on New Year's Eve, right. um, which is pretty funny. But Quality yeah. fake news. <laughs> yeah, no. It's so hard to know now, isn't it? Like, unless you were there, um, you just see it and you think, oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah. Could you imagine turning up on New Year's way in the countdown and nothing happens and you see it on TV <laughs> and it's happening right in front of you. Your friends are messaging you like, wow, that was amazing. Like, can't believe you just saw that. Like, <laughs> saw what? <laughs> uh, I think you're in the wrong place, wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, oh, we had some huge news though on January the 1st. Massive. Um, massive. Craig Wright predicted, right, by the end of 2019 that – a fatal flaw in Bitcoin uh, meant that there wouldn't be any Bitcoin by the end of 2019. Yeah, and look, lo and behold, everyone checked their Bitcoin wallets on, you know, 12.01 on January 1st and it was just gone. It was yeah. it was done. That's it. Not, B- not worth anything. Bitcoin's Pack it up. finished. Go home. All done. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, Satoshi strikes again. Yeah, hey, t- Joe. Take that. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, and then also, what didn't he say last year that you know a bonded courier was supposed to deliver Craig Wright the keys to this million Bitcoin that was yep. part of that <laughs> Tulip Trust thing? Yeah, he did. Yeah, and, and of course, um, every all the Craig Wright supporters are jumping to the defence, saying, "Well, he said 2020, um, and uh, you know it could be January, it could be December, but I mean." The court documents, at least from my memory and from what other people were saying, was pretty clear that it was meant to be basically the start of the year. Uh, well, even uh, there's a tweet from Crypto Hustle that said, look, if you think Satoshi Nakamoto is waiting on a quote-unquote bonded courier from some quote-unquote tulip trust, you are seriously something stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, look, it's... um. Oh, look, I just, there's not much to say really. Like I think this saga is, you know, it was, it was, it was fun and it was funny last year, but as things have dragged on, it's just kind of getting a bit sad. Uh, well, sad. well, Craig Wright's PR machine, Coin Geek, they managed to get ahead of this three days before when they realized that there was no such thing as a tulip well no there's no such thing as a bonded courier um they you know they did a an interview with him called you know craig wright sets the record straight again on tulip trust uh, and dr wright apparently said that this is a private family matter and what a family does with its finances should be their own private business so uh yeah he won't tell us about courier if one comes uh yeah, he, he believes that he would receive information on, in January that will enable them to identify coins that he mined and 
can't be certain it will arrive, you know. I've not said that the private keys would be available or if so, actually. <laughs> and uh, CoinGeek really wrap it up by saying, look, Dr. Wright's statement indirectly reinforces a message she's been saying all year. Look, access to or the use of private keys to early-minded Bitcoin doesn't prove Dr. Wright is a creator of Bitcoin. That's for mm. the courts. Yes, yes. As, mm. as Dr. Wright himself said, uh, the courts determine truth. Yes. Apparently. Mm. So let's watch it play out in court. Hmm. Yeah. Haven't we got a Bitcoin halving coming up? Yeah, point? we do. What's, yeah, what's yeah. that all about? Okay. So um, basically people who are mining Bitcoin at the moment, so the, the, the miners who are um, who every, every 10 minutes, one of them writes a block to the blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, um, and that, you know, they put all the transactions that have happened in the mempool for those, that 10 minutes into the mm. block. Um, they get a reward for doing that. So to kind of compensate them for all the computational work they're doing, mm -hmm. um, if they find the, uh, it's called a nonce, but it's basically like a problem that they need to solve for mm -hmm. the, to, to write the block. If they find that, they get a certain amount of reward. And um, I think at the moment it's about, and I'm probably completely wrong on this, but the, the number that's in my head is around about six Bitcoin per mm -hmm. block. Um, and every four years that amount halves. So, Originally, it was a lot more than that back when uh, Satoshi mined the Genesis block right. and the block reward has been halving every four years. Mm. Um, and this is a halving year, so kind of like a leap year, um, which is what it is, isn't it? This is a leap year, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, so every every leap year is also generally a halving year. Um, and that means that when the halving happens, the block reward will go will halve to, th if, if I'm right, three... Bitcoin. Oh, brief correction. Not that I'm trying to be yes. a douchebag. So it's happening on the 13th of May, apparently, yep. um, every 210,000 blocks. And the coin reward will decrease from 12.5 to 6.25 Bitcoins. Ah, oh, there you go. That's where six came from in my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so at the moment it's 12, it'll come down to six. So that means that the, um, the money that miners will make for mining Bitcoin is going to get halved. Um, if, if you, if you're, doing it in Bitcoin terms. Now, of course, if the value of Bitcoin goes up, um, then it's not as big of a deal. But if the value stays the same, then miners will be making less. And I have heard that some miners are already preparing to lay off staff um, mm. to kind of compensate for this. But there's some models around and there's some really interesting ones. And the ones I'd probably, the one I'd probably point people to go look at um, if they're going to look at any of them is Plan B's model, uh, which has correlated, I think it's based on off 2012 data. Um, he built the model and then the model's held true up until now. There generally seems to be a very significant price increase uh, by a certain point after a halving. So um, that's that's definitely one to go look at. Mm. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All speculation, of course, but yeah. Um, yeah. Well, speaking of the economy... Um CNBC reported a little headline for uh, Goldman Sachs is saying the economy is nearly recession proof. And that's it, really. Yeah, well, this, this tweet just said, don't look now, but Goldman Sachs is saying the economy is nearly recession proof. So uh, don't look now. Yeah. <laughs> just trust. Mm. <laughs> mm. Didn't, did Goldman Sachs get bailed out in the last financial crisis? I have no idea. 
If they didn't, I feel like they, they probably are one of those too big to fail institutions, you know. Oh, apparently they received $10 billion uh, of the first $125 billion from the $700 billion bailout bill. Oh. And, uh, we should start a bank. We should. I'd like some of that bailout money. May we should we call ourselves the, the ba- uh, yeah, the bank for bailouts. The bailout bank. Bailout. Dog the banks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next bit of news, and you know this is this is just to assure you that everything is well in the economy. Central banks are going to unleash billions as quantitative easing is rebooted. Yeah, this came out of the Telegraph the other day. Um, fantastic British paper. Jerk. Um, the balance sheets of the four main central banks in the eurozone, US, Japan, and UK, are collectively expected to swell to more than twelve trillion pounds. That's a few billion trillion. Australian dollars uh, by the end of 2020. Yeah, so um, all is well, Joe. Mm. Nothing to see here. Yes, uh, policymakers have resorted to um, the best solution to any financial problems. Not that there are any financial problems. So, so this quantitative easing, which is what they're going to be, um, I guess, rebooting. They're saying not that it hasn't been happening already. Um, We've talked about it before, Joe, but just like a quick recap, what is it? It's basically where they just print money and yep. just give it to banks and that's it, really. This will mm. give you an idea of how quantitative easing works. Yep. Take printer out of box and mm-hmm. place on table with the out tray facing the window. The out tray facing the window. That's right. Load paper into the paper receptacle and place currency on glass tray F. Right. Check alignment by printing out a test page. Right. Go into copy settings and select double-sided and the number of copies you require. How many would you suggest? In the case of one of our clients, it's 80 billion, 120 billion. In the case of another client and one client wants a trillion of these things. Can you get printers to do that? No, you can't. You're going to need a bank of them. I mean, it's a multi-printed job. Yeah, big industrial strength. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Big like a Bofors gun, all facing the window. Yeah. 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 Uh, Once you've ascertained um, that uh, you have the alignment correct, uh, you alert the banking sector, open the window and press copy. And stand well back. Yes, you've got to stand well back because they can create a bit of a vacuum while reaching cruising height. Whereabouts? In the super fund industry very often. And you'd have to consider the wind direction too, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, you don't want to be doing this upwind. No, because you'd be covered in pretend money, couldn't you? Covered in what? Pretend money. No, this is not pretend money. This is real currency we're creating. But aren't you just printing it off? I mean, these are photocopies, aren't they? Excuse me. Dave, this is not going to work. Because I've just explained it to a bloke and he saw through it straight away. Are you in banking? No. No, he's not even in the banking racket. Mm. Okay, I'll try that. Try what? Have you ever heard of Rumpelstiltskin? No. Good. Now we're getting somewhere. Pull up a chair. I'll tell you a tale. It's really, yeah, it's really just more inflation, isn't it? Like it's just turning turning the printers into overdrive, printing more money and trying to um, hope that, you know, you don't, the money doesn't go into hyperinflation. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. interest rates generally go down too. Mm. And Some of them go into negative. Oh. On its yep. way, yeah. So yep. uh, it's pretty experimental policy, but uh, yeah, it's like the last weapon they have. And um, there we go, printing money, um, buying nonsense with it. Apparently, Bank of Japan own most Japanese businesses. Um, in 2018, it was reported by the Asian Review that the Bank of Japan is a top ten shareholder in 40 percent of Japan Japan's listed companies. 
Damn. So that's what happens. You print money, you buy things with it. It's like being the banker in Monopoly while you're playing, except you get to buy all the houses and no one else can. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. If anyone else does what you do, they get put in jail. That's illegal. You're not. Yeah. You, that's that's uh, forgery. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> counterfeiting money. But <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. Right. All as well. Mm. Completely unrelated. Uh, China is building enormous self-sustaining Chinese cities all over the African continent. This is actually big news. It's not getting covered much, but. Right now, approximately 2 million Chinese citizens already live in Africa, and that number is steadily rising with each passing month. And the author, this is in endoftheamericandream.com, he said that look, these days it's difficult to find a major construction project on the continent that's not being handled by the Chinese, and this has enabled for them to put their imprint on some of the largest African cities. For example, check out what's happening in Nairobi, Kenya. And, um, and this article says, On the outskirts of Nairobi, Kenya, a small sign points to Beijing Road where a new housing development called the Great Wall Apartments look like concrete towers you'd find in a Chinese city. Yeah, so interestingly, most of these cities that they're building are known as, quote, unquote, special economic zones. Now, these are essentially enormous self-sustaining cities that have been dropped right into some of the most strategic parts of Africa. So, for example, one of the biggest has been built right next to Lagos in Nigeria. Mm, And the article says, next to Lagos, Nigeria, Chinese developers have built a walled-off special economic zone, basically a separate city, with separate rules designed to attract investors, based on a model they've used inside China for the last 30 years. After Shenzhen became a special economic zone in the 1980s, it went from a small town of 20,000 to, by some counts, 15 million today. And like the size of some of these projects is staggering. Like, Check out what's happened in um, what's been planned for an area along the coast of Tanzania. In, uh, I think it's uh, Bagamoyo. If the project goes ahead as planned, it will be transformed into the largest port in Africa. That is looking ever more likely. After years of delay, the Tanzanian government says it's in the final stages of talks with a state-run China Merchant Holdings International. Now, the lagoon will be dredged to allow access to the vast cargo ships that will queue many miles out to sea. As for the special economic zone, the original master plan shows factories in a fenced-off industrial area and apartment blocks to accommodate the estimated future population of 75,000. There is even talk of an international airport. Now, many of the villages have already accepted compensation for the loss of their homes. In Ethiopia, the capital city of the entire nation is literally becoming known as the city that China built. Cars chug through the city on smooth Chinese roads, Chinese cranes lift the skyline, sewing machines hum in Chinese factories and Chinese-owned industrial parks. Tourists arrive at the Chinese-upgraded airport and commuters ride modern Chinese trains to work. Simply put, Addis Ababa is becoming the city that China built, but at what diplomatic and economic cost? That's the capital of Ethiopia. <laughs> mm, yeah. And, yeah, they're literally taking over an entire continent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just amazing. Like Their influence goes beyond physical infrastructure. It's possible to pick up a copy of the China Daily, Chinese state-run um, newspaper, and watch CCTV, China's state-run news channel. Some cities have Chinese language schools and some African students are given grants to go study in China. This has all pulled millions of Africans out of poverty, no doubt. Um, But it also carries with it a hefty price tag. China is now Africa's biggest trade partner with Sino-African trade topping $200 billion a year. Now, according to McKinsey, over 10,000 Chinese-owned firms are currently operating throughout the African continent. The value of the business 
since 2005 amounts to more than two trillion, Whoa. with 300 billion dollars of investment. And that's 300 billion dollars of investment currently on the table. And Africa has eclipsed Asia as the largest market for China's overseas construction projects. You know, we've talked about the uh, Belt and Road Initiative that's been going on. You know, China building um, transport roads and trade routes across the world. Um, and you know, in, in 2018, there was a, a $60 billion African aid package, $60 billion just of aid to Africa. So expect them to be continuing to sway to China. Um, yeah, and look, it was called an aid package, but Chinese aren't really doing this out of the goodness of their own hearts. African governments are going really deep into debt. So they can afford all the infrastructure. It's not. It's not being built for free, um, and several of them are now in way over their heads. So the four, I think it's four billion dollar uh, Addis Ababa to Djibouti railway ended up costing Ethiopia nearly a quarter of their total 2016 budget. Uh, Nigeria had to renegotiate a deal with a Chinese contractor due to their failure to pay. And Kenya's 80% Chinese finance railway from Mombasa to Nairobi has already gone four times over budget, costing the country upwards of 6% of its GDP. Now, if you're getting a little bit of deja vu, um, that's understandable because this is the sort of predatory lending that Western powers once did so well in Africa. And um, from, from all the way back to when uh, there were the, Africa was operating on agribeads um, and then the Europeans discovered how to make many, many agribeads and they came in and, you know, very soon Africa was very much in debt to them and, and, and still is in a lot of instances. And so it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's just, it's deja vu. It's, it's, it's China flexing its muscles in, in a similar way that the West did. Um, and unfortunately, it's happening again um, to the African people. As one commenter wrote, get ready for a Chinese century. You can see so much cold calculation in this, can't you, mate? Look, I mean, there's, on, on the ground, it, it probably seems great for a lot of African people. I mean, they're getting all these, all these new things, their infrastructure is being upgraded. Um, I, I can guarantee their standard of living is improving, um, mm. but it, it it is very much just building out the Chinese overseas empire, isn't it? And, mm. and it's it's almost looking like Africa will just become a oh, look almost like a production proxy, you know, mm. <laughs> like somewhere that can do the cheap labour that China used to do, um, farm the food, man the factories. Etc. Mm. Etc. Et and and even just looking at the the way that like these they're calling them these special economic zones, but they're really just like walled Chinese cities. You know, mm. like Chinese citizens are going to go live in these fancy cities, walled off from the rest of the populace, and essentially just like you know come down from their ivory towers to to supervise the workers. You know. Mm. Huh. It's um, it's it's interesting. Yeah, and they've, I mean, they're building the infrastructure for it. The, uh, it's all been set, so uh, yeah, off they pop. It's pretty impressive. And meanwhile, we're kind of, I don't even know what we're doing. Avo on toast, mate. <laughs> Avo on toast. That's that's the real bit, investment. Bit of Saturday morning Avo on toast with a caramel latte. That's what we're doing. <laughs> oh, hey. mate. <laughs> Completely, well, not completely unrelated, but somewhat unrelated. Um, and this is actually nuts. Like, this is a little bit insane. China has just confirmed the birth of their third gene-edited baby. 
Yeah, Chinese state-run news agency Xinhua reported that He Jianqui, I don't know how to pronounce that, uh, the researcher responsible for creating the world's first gene-edited babies, he's been sentenced to three years in prison on the charge of illegally practicing medicine. Yeah, so we don't know it's... um it's sex, it's health status, whether the birth involved any complications or if the baby's even still alive. But we do know that this baby was born, meaning that at some point this year, there were not two, but three genetically engineered humans walking or more likely crawling the earth at this point. It's been done. So, um, yeah. It's definitely a sign of things to come. I mean, I've, I've probably talked about it before, but um, but if you want to like explore this more, I actually the, the the biggest recommendation I could make is to do yourself a favor, go on Steam or wherever you get your games if you play games, and look at the Deus Ex series, uh, particularly the last couple that were done. So I think it was there was Human Revolution and something else. Anyway, they paint a really really interesting picture of a near future where um, humanity is essentially split into two camps. Right, you've got the the altered and the non-altered, um, mm. and um, and the world is just um, it's just crazy. Like so, there's, you've got these altered, um, genetically modified humans who are superior in every regard. They generally come from the wealthier families, and there's like a you know a larger and larger gap between the the, the modified and the non-modified. Mm. The thing that sticks out to me the most from that series is there's one city in China where they literally built another city on top of the current city what? where all the like modified people live. You know, what? they live up like on top yeah. and then beneath is the old city where all the non-modified people live. You know, it's a big, and it's a big deal. Like this elevator's guarded up to the new city and what? like, oh, anyway. But um, I won't spoil it too much, but there's like a catastrophic event that happens at the end, which kind of flips everything on its head. Um, huh. And the next game is kind of set after everything goes to, 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 to custard. Um, but uh just really, really thought-provoking, and I think it's something we do need to be thinking about because genetic modification is like it, it, it may seem like a cool thing now, but there's some huge, huge implications for us as a species down the line if you know if we go down this route because very quickly we'll become a new type of class warfare. I guess you'd say where you've got the the, the people who are genetically modified, you know, they're resistant to disease, they're super healthy, super strong, super fit. And then mm. you'd have the normal people. Mate, but the Olympic Games would be so much more entertaining though, wouldn't they? <laughs> well, you'd nearly need two, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, imagine that doping Olympics. That would be so sick. <laughs> oh, well, that's, I mean, that's that, that's a conversation that's still ongoing. I mean, there's a lot of athletes that advocate for just like a dope Olympics, essentially. They say, look, like huh. there's we're, we're competing against some people who are doing the wrong thing. Not everyone's getting caught. You know, the playing field isn't level. So yeah. why don't we just essentially decriminalize doping and just let everyone have at it. In which case then it becomes a science competition, you know, more than a Yeah. Than a, an actual competition of, you know, human athleticism. That's a really interesting argument too, mate. Like <laughs> if you if you wanna if you wanna fall down another rabbit hole, go look at that. This happened just before Christmas. Google added interpreter mode for real-time translations to Google Assistant on phones. Yeah, so this lets you instantly converse in another language with no tedious downloading or setup and can handle translation in 44 languages. And it's rolled out to all smartphones with Assistant. Have you given it a go yet? No, um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't actually even know about it, but um, I, I tend not to try many Google products anymore. Yeah, well, I'm hooked yeah. into the beast, so let me save you the effort. 
Okay, Google, be my French translator. Sure, I'll be your interpreter. Bonjour, ça va? Hello, how are you? Yes, I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Oui, je suis très bon. Je vous remercie. Comment vas-tu? Ah oui, 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 bien, bien, bien. C'est OK, hein? All right, all right, cac, OK. <laughs> so, a few little round of bits, because my French sucks, but... um. Yeah, you can basically just have it running automatically and it will just translate a conversation like it's, you know, like a presidential translator that whispers in like a, an earphone. Yeah. Wow. That's so, amazing. Yeah. That's actually yeah. really, really cool. It makes it really easy to talk to Telstra on the phone. <laughs> okay, that was brutal and oh, slightly it. racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but that's that, like, I'll actually keep that in mind for when I go overseas next because that would actually be really handy when you're in somewhere where people. Don't talk a lot of English. Yeah, it's so it's so true. And mm. um, yeah, you can do 44 different languages. It wow. uses your location to make sure it chooses the right regional dialect. Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you can learn little phrases just by chatting to it. Wow. That's really cool. Check it out. Mm, maybe I need to embrace the beast. <laughs> I can't do it, mate. Yeah. We say as we go through our show notes on Google Drive. <laughs> Next bit of news. Uh, this is some transport news. So the US commercial drone deliveries will finally be a thing in 2020. Yeah, so this is coming out of IEEE's Spectrum magazine. Uh, they're saying that practical commercial deliveries will take off, albeit with intense regulatory scrutiny. Yeah, so in 2020, we should see such operations multiply, even in the strictly regulated skies over the United States. And the technical barriers in particular that were standing in the way are gradually crumbling. And one of the big ones is collisions. But as of January the 1st, airplanes and helicopters are in the US are required to broadcast their positions by radio um, using what's known as Automatic Dependent Surveillance Broadcast Out, ADSB Out uh, equipment, which is carried on board. Now, there are some ex exceptions like hot air balloons and some other random bits and pieces. Um, but, uh, yeah, airplanes, yeah, helicopters. Yeah, so DJI, who's the world's leading drone maker, has promised that from here on out it will clip any drone it sells weighing over 250 grams with the ability to receive ADS-B signals and to inform the operator that a conventional airplane or helicopter is flying nearby. And they've called that feature AirSense. So good little nice check for the marketing team there. <laughs> yeah, but it only works in one direction. So that's, that is that pilots don't get the benefit of ADS-B signals from the drones. The drones won't carry the ADSB out equipment because um, a vast number of drones would just send air traffic controllers into a frenzy with a bunch of useless information about where these drones are. But it will eventually be possible for pilots and others to determine whether there are any drones close enough to worry about. They've been saying that some form of electronic license plates for drones is definitely coming. Uh, there are a few US sites where drones are making commercial deliveries already. One of them's uh, Wake County in... North Carolina, I believe. Um, since March of last year, drones have been ferrying medical samples at WakeMed's Spalling Hospital campus on the east side of Raleigh. Um, and last September, UPS Flight Forward, they got a certification from the FAA as an air carrier. Uh, and the following month, Wing, a division of Alphabet, Google's parent company, they launched the first residential drone-based delivery service to begin commercial operations in the United States, um, taking small packages in... What is VA? What state's that? Is that for... Is it Virginia? Yeah, that'll do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's so many 
states and counties. It's hard to mm. keep up. Oh, look, there you go, Virginia, down further. So the project's in North Carolina and Virginia. Nice. A tour of a handful being carried out under FAA's UAS Integration Pilot Program. And they show the idea that using drones to deliver packages is slowly but surely maturing. Yeah, they've been operating that service five days a week on the hour, according to this uh, former airline pilot who's now a head and neck surgeon at WakeMed. This drone flies within line of sight, but... Yeah, basically flies stuff from the hospital by drone from a clinic 16 kilometers away. Unreal. Yeah. And if you like the sound of this drone stuff, um, yeah, check out that documentary I mentioned earlier. Um, It was called Elevation. Um, Thanks, Luke, for recommending that. Really interesting about how that's going to transform our skies. Awesome. Next bit of news, uh, Boeing's autonomous fighter jet will fly over the Australian outback. Yeah, so this robotic aircraft will accompany human-piloted planes, adding firepower and thwarting enemy attacks. Yeah, because there's, there are so many enemies out there in the Australian outback. Yes. Dingoes, camels. Yes. Taipans. Oh, you got to watch out for those Wild things. pigs, wild dogs. Bomb them from the air. Got to be careful. Anyway, the Royal Australian Air Force and Boeing Australia are building the fighter-like plane for possible operational use in the mid-2020s. Trials are set to start this year, and they won't confirm the exact location, but the uh, quiet electromagnetic environment, size and remoteness of the Woomera prohibited area makes it a very likely candidate. Named for the ancient Aboriginal spear throwers, Woomera spans an area bigger than North Korea, making it the largest weapons testing range on the planet. Dingoes everywhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> this autonomous plane, it's 11 metres long, uh, clean cut, no cockpit, sharp angles, quietly aggressive, as uh, IEEE are calling it. Yeah, three prototypes were going to be built, and there's not really specifications that have been made, but it's like a learning exercise of how we can make autonomous aircraft fighter planes, fighter things. Yeah, and it may be the first experiment to truly end the era of crude Warplanes, and they've said that we want to explore the viability of an autonomous system and understand the challenges we'll face. Now, Australia's chipped in US uh, $27 million, which is about $40 million Australian, but the bulk of the cost is being borne by Boeing, and the company will retain ownership of the three prototypes. The goal, I think they were saying, is you could make a bunch of these planes, fly them out there, overload the enemy radars, and then during operations they could be extensions of piloted aircraft or they could collect intelligence, go out a bit further in advance, jam enemy electronic systems, drop bombs, shoot down other planes, kill civilians, whatever. You whatever know? you want. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it all it's, it's autonomous. There's no responsibility. You can do yeah. whatever you want. Yeah, wasn't us. <laughs> yeah, was this, was this you damn plane? Put, you put an autonomous plane on the stand for war crimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's running Linux. <laughs> <laughs> it's open source. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the Russians have this autonomous heavy strike drone that's still undergoing trials and being built. Jeez, what a wonderful world we're living in. Yeah, it seems that we're all going to just fight each other with robot soldiers fighting other robot soldiers, robot planes fighting other robot planes. Like, what's the point? There was a Stargate episode about this. Yeah. How did it end? It ended with them realising that they were – so they were flying, like, remote-controlled planes – Sorry, spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't watched Stargate, but they 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 went through the gate. They like went to the society. They were really struggling in this war, and they were like fighting these autonomous planes. And they thought that the other people were as well. But it turned out 
that the other people in the planes were real people and the people they were fighting for were just like these 12 people that had been cloned again and again and were like hell-bent on killing everyone else. So, wow, yeah, it ended, up, it ended with like them basically destroying the entire facility and getting out of Dodge. So, hmm. yeah. Take that, Iran. That's right. So, uh, Speaking of autonomy, um, yes. the there's an autonomous ship called the Mayflower and it's set to set, set sail in September. This is a modern-day Mayflower, apparently. It's going to launch from Plymouth uh, to America, so across the Atlantic, as its namesake did precisely 400 years earlier. Yeah, it's going to do a big old crossing. Instead of carrying Pilgrim's intent on beginning a new life in the new world, the ship will be fully autonomous with no crew or passengers on board. And it'll be powered in part by solar panels and a wind turbine at its stern. It will cross the Atlantic in 12 days instead of the 60 days uh, for the 1620 voyage. Yeah, it'll be made of aluminium and composite materials. It'll measure 15 metres and weigh five metric tonnes. And it'll contain science bays for experiments to measure oceanographic, climate and meteorological data. Uh, yeah, its trimaran design makes it look like a sleek, scaled-down, seagoing version of the Battlestar Galactica. If you've seen Battlestar Galactica, you'll know what we're referring to. If not, then, uh, like me, you will just have to Google it. Ah, oh, if not, you need to watch that series because it is brilliant. Oh, that looks cool. Very, very, very well done series. Yes, yeah, so the 15 solar panels, each three millimetres thick, will follow the curve of the hull. And yeah, on a clear day, they could potentially generate some 2.5 kilowatts. Now, the Salfin's expected to propel the boat to its currently projected average cruising speed of 10 knots, when it operates just on electricity to be stored in a half-ton battery bank in the hull, the Mayflower should make from 4 to 5 knots, which isn't too bad. Yeah, 4 miles an hour, you know, that's... Five miles an hour, that's not bad, yeah. There'll be uh, radar, cameras, lights, antennas, satellite navigation equipment, sonar pods. Um, They'll all be perched above the hull on a little mast. And behind all the hardware is going to be software, which does the piloting. So IBM is going to be supplying the AI package together with cloud computing power. Yeah, and look, today very little weather data is collected from the ocean's surface and a successful Mayflower voyage the gathered data for months on end could therefore make a strong case for having more such autonomous ships out in the ocean. Yeah. So let's see what happens. Last piece of news. This came out of Segway. I think Segway got acquired by some Chinese robotics company. I don't know when it was. It was at some point in the last few years. I missed it. Um, But they've launched this new personal transporter pod and futurism.com are saying it looks very familiar. Yeah, it does a bit. Yeah, so Segway announced plans for these new transportation products ahead of the Consumer Electronics Show. And uh, one of them looks eerily similar to the hover chairs featured in uh, WALL-E, which is Pixar's post-apocalyptic, very adorable kids animation. Describe to our listeners what it looks like. Right, so it, it looks like oh, it looks like a, a one of those pods, you know, right? Those pods that you see in the Google offices and things like that. Yeah, like the things they sleep in in those. Offices. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, kind of like yeah. a sleeping pod, but they've like kind of cut it away, smoothed out the edges, made it look a little bit more like a throne that you sit on rather than something you yeah. sleep in, and then they've stuck like an axle and a couple of wheels underneath it. So basically, it's just like a sleek, big sleek chair with wheels on the bottom. Wow. Yeah, like a gaming chair with 
two wheels instead of four. Yeah, like big wheels, like Segway wheels. It's just like a Segway with a seat. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> now, they're calling this device the Segway S-Pod. Yeah, and like Segway's flagship vehicle, it balances on two wheels. Yeah, so according to their press release, a rider sits in the pod and uses a navigation panel to drive the contraption at upwards of 38 kilometres per hour. Far out. Or 24 miles per hour. So, like, not only now will you have the, like, the Blue Rinse Brigade terrorising people on their strollers, you're going to have people on Segways cruising around the streets on two wheels at 38 kilometres an hour. These people must be stopped. (sighs) Did I ever tell you about when I went to Disneyland? No. Oh, okay. When we were in California, (laughs) uh, we went to Disneyland. And in Disneyland, you've got these like – you walk in, everything's really nice. And you look to your right and there's just this massive bay of like – kind of like the old people's strollers, you know, like the motorised scootery things that they ride around, right? And so I, I saw it and I was like, oh, that's awesome. Like they've got transportation for all the disabled people or people that, you know, like they, they need to get around somehow in the park. They can still come, um, you know, experience things, blah, blah, blah. I thought that's really cool. Yeah. But then I started noticing that like all of the people riding these things, or most of them anyway, were like just hugely overweight. Like I'm wow. talking like just like American overweight, you know, and I'm sorry for our American listeners, but like there is a stereotype. And they were just, just very, very overweight. And so I was like, oh, this is a bit bit strange. But not only did they these people who could have perfectly walked around the park ride these things around, and they were, they were quite obviously there for them, you know. Um, mm. But they, they like, expect you to get out of their way, you know. So it wasn't just, like, you know, ride it around and, um, and you know, kind of weave in and out of people walking. Like, they would just, like, hone in on a line and they would not move and, like, they'd expect you just to get out of their way. Like, you know, kind of like if someone's coming through on a wheelchair or something, you'd, you know, you'd get out of the way and you'd you'd make sure that there's there's nothing in their way for them. Mm. Um, and, mate, I just remember getting so irrationally annoyed at these people just because, like, everyone else was walking around, everyone was, else was queuing on their two feet and, like, everyone else had kind of moved because there's so many people, you know, so much traffic. Mm. And these people would just, like, hone in, just, <laughs> just, like, ride their little motorized vehicles through the crowd, um, mm. you know, as if the world owed them something. And anyway, that's just – I just – I feel like I'm going to get the same kind of irrational annoyance for the people on the segways wow. as, I did, as I did at Disneyland. Well, luckily for you, this uh – S-Pod, SPOD, uh, is designed for use in enclosed campuses such as airports, theme parks, and malls. So probably not good for you. That's going to be more at Disney, um, <laughs> which makes them a sleeker alternative to electric scooters that already populate those settings. Oh, no. So it'll be a streamlined bump oh, in your they, back. They'll be like they're sitting on their throne now, you know? Oh, my. Yeah, look, probably probably best for me not to go back. I'll probably push someone over. Could you imagine though, if like someone's trying to get out of one of those, but they they go a bit off balance and the whole thing just shoots forward at twenty four miles an hour as they're it's falling? Be hilarious! Can you imagine the amount of hilarious YouTube videos we're going to get out of this? Well, I'm, there are already hilarious videos of like Segway accidents. Yeah. So I say hilarious, but I actually cringe every time because it looks horrible. Yeah, someone like falls <laughs> falls backwards and the thing just accelerates them into a wall. <laughs> right, I gotta I gotta exit. This is just <laughs> oh, too much. Sorry, mate. 
Okay, well, in the future, we're going to have drones delivering segways to genetically superior human beings. In cities in Africa where the road signs are in Chinese and Craig Wright is uh, Satoshi. Wow. You heard it here first. Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Why not drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? You can find it at FOMO.show slash Telegram. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know someone who might enjoy this? Please feel free to share it with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump in our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And on YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, why not leave us a rating in your podcast player and subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. Um, You're Matt. And you're Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. How good. Love that little link thing you posted from uh, about uh, Urban Dictionary and Skomo. Yeah, pure gold. Oh mate, whoever whoever's advising him needs needs a sack because like anyone could see that that wasn't good optics. Like <laughs> just you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh you're letting my party down. <laughs> yeah, it's like we need lead- we need good leadership. No, we don't. We don't need any leadership. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the captain? I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, but at least we know who our prime minister is now because it's easy to forget who's, who's in charge these days. Well, it's, you know, you blink and someone new will be in charge. So. I thought it was still Julia Gillard, you know? Yeah, she had a couple of, she, she had a couple of goes, didn't she? Did she? Her and Kevin Rudd both had a couple of goes, I think. Really? Yeah. Right. Maybe when, she didn't. No, maybe it was Kevin Rudd. Maybe it was when, just when's Kevin When's it Rudd. your turn? Oh, no one would let me. No one oh, would let mate. me do it, mate. Could you I'd, imagine? I'd let you rule over me. Actually, no, that sounds both. No, weird what would happen is yeah. I'd I'd get elected, and then I'd I'd turn I'd you know the power would go to my head, and I'd just increase government spending, and you know, yeah, start telling people what they should do. Yeah. Hold on. Wait, Julia Gillard was born in Wales. Wow. Was she? There you yeah. go. I thought oh. I thought there was something about like politicians couldn't be. Oh, she renounced citizenship before. Yeah, the there you go. Yeah, nice. Yeah, you can't that. can't have that pesky dual citizenship when you want to be a politician. Yeah. 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 So what does that mean? Just get rid of a passport? Basically. Wow. Scrapping politicians' six-figure pensions would save $350 million costing a show. Yeah. Far out. I was just looking at like a list of government departments and agencies today and I was and it's just insane like we've got like we 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 pay money for like I don't know there's like the department for uh, you know agriculture and fisheries and like half of them do bugger all yeah like uh, well, they just make farmers lives harder <laughs> that's really all they do it's just it's just, it's just insane it's really all they do man like yeah. 
I mean, it's it's cra- like at the moment, our, so um, near our farm, um, the farm next door to us, they're pumping water twenty four seven, right, out of their bore. Wow. Um, uh, and the reason they can do it is because they're on what's called a basalt bore, and right. um, and a basalt bore is like further down than what our bores are. But you're not allowed right. to sink them anymore, so you're not allowed to actually make any more basalt bores. Um, but what if you've got a basalt bore? You can pump as much as you want whenever you want and not really get um, like there's no real restrictions, but you can also have a slot. Like all these basalt bores have slots in their pipes. You know, when they, when they, when they drill the hole, they sink a big pipe down it. They've got slots in all the other alluvial sections. So like all the other sections of water that are above it. So they can pump 24 seven, not just from the basalt, but from everything else. And all the other farmers around them are on, water restriction so they can only pump like a fraction of that from those wow. alluvial basins it's like dad is like you know he can he's like struggling to keep everything wet because yeah. like they get a person come read the meter every three months and if you go over you get in, like you get fined a lot of money and blah 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 whereas next door he's pumping as much as he wants because the department of agriculture or whoever they are they've they've yeah. they've deem that a different standard applies, you know? So that's insane. Uh, yeah. It's, and there's like, and there's thousands of those kind of situations, you know, like wow. it's just, yeah. So what stops people from just digging their own bore, put a big tarp over it so no one can see? <laughs> oh, well, mainly, mainly the neighbors mm. a dob, I think, mm. you know, that'd be what would happen. Mm. Um, because if, you know, if your neighbor's getting something that you're not, I mean, I, I mean, I said it because, like, Dad was like, "What do you do?" And I was like, "Well, the answer is just to stop, like, s- just take all the rules away. That's what you do. Then everyone can sink all the balls they want. But you know what had happened within it, like a year or two, like things would start getting bad for everyone, mm. and then everyone would go, maybe we should come together and like agree on like some ex- some kind of acceptable arrangement so that we can all benefit from this. Mm. And then you'd have like people come together voluntarily." Agree. Oh, okay, look, this is probably as much as we should all pump from our respective bores. Mm. Um, and away you go, you know. But or everyone would just pump it dry. And, I mean, eventually they would have, like, uh, that's what happens. Like, eventually people are like, well, this can't continue. Let's let's work out what we need to do. Um, but at the moment there's just this, you know. Well, at the moment it's moral for them to be able to take as much water as they like and it's immoral yeah. for you to take any more water than you're currently taking. So uh, yeah. that's it. Law is no, morality. That, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Larkin yeah. Rose is bad, man. Like, because ever since I've watched it, like, I hate everything. Like, yeah. I want it all to come down and yet... I can't even. I, you can't even. I can't even start a conversation with somebody because, like, the complete level of difference is so bad now. Yeah, but it's like I don't. It can't even start. <laughs> yeah, because the foundational. The foundation is just like completely Same. different. I find I just just I'm just keeping my mouth shut more and more. To be honest, yeah, yeah. you know, because it's just it's not even worth. It's not even worth having the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if only there's a better way. Yeah, just go and vote. Yeah, yeah, go and vote. That'll that'll solve it. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah.
Have you um have you looked much into these citadels that a lot of the Bitcoin Bitcoin guys are talking about? Have you heard no. have you heard of them? Good yeah. times ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, okay, we've got to stop this recording, hey. Yeah.